As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hi, hello, and welcome to the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast. Thank you for choosing to listen to us today. As the Women's European Championships moves into its knockout stages, we've got match analysis, quarterfinals to preview, and some players of the tournament so far as well. So particularly if you are living in a fireball right now, get yourself a glass of water, stay hydrated, don't make any unnecessary movements. We've got the rest covered. We are... Michael Cox and Mark Kerry of The Athletic and myself, Ali Maxwell, noticeably unathletic. Uh, Mark Kerry is here. Mark, how are you doing? Good, thank you, Ali. Yeah, I've, uh, I've followed government guidelines and the, the curtains are closed, the blinds are down. So plenty of water on board. We'll get through this hour. Expected threat? More like expected sweat. <laughs> Michael Cox is with us too. Hello, Michael. How are you doing? Hi. Yeah, very good. Enjoying the tournament. Um, enjoying the fact that I don't have to go to any games in this heat. Next one I'm at is a Wednesday when I think things have calmed down a bit. Uh, but yeah, all good here. You must have been to around a quarter, maybe a third of the games in the tournament so far. Maybe. I think I'm on six at the moment. I think I've got mm-hmm. another five or so left. But yeah, it's been good. I don't think there's been a bad game in this tournament so far. Um, I haven't had a nil-nil. The one that nearly was a nil-nil was... Spain, Denmark, and even that was fine because it was a kind of crucial game. So, Mm. um, you know, the fact it was very tight, I thought, meant it was quite a good game. But uh, yeah, it's been a really good tournament, I think, so far. And we thought in our preview that the eight group progressors, if you will, were relatively predictable. And it hasn't been the case. We've had uh, one surprise progressor. So we'll get into that. But let's talk England first. 5-0 victors against Northern Ireland in their third and final group game, showing no signs, Mark, of, of taking it easy, despite progression having already been secured. Yeah, I mean, that being said, I thought that Northern Ireland were good for, for long periods. They frustrated England for a good half an hour in that in that first half. They Northern Ireland had a few chances themselves to, to break on England, but they if we're being honest, they kind of lacked that quality to to really kind of break with too much conviction. But I thought a lot of England players had a had a really good game. I thought Georgia Stanway in particular had a had a great game or first half because she was obviously substituted at half time. But I thought that 
she's I just thought she pushed on so well in that that right half space drifted really well into to little pockets and she ran off her sort of opponent really well but also as I say drifted to get on the end of some shots uh, really neatly she had five shots in the, the first five, 45 minutes that she played which was the joint highest with with Beth Mead who played the full 90 minutes so it shows just how much of a an attacking threat that she was in that first half so a shout out for Georgia Stanway there yeah Georgia Stanway reputation grows by the game Michael it seems yeah I mean um before the tournament there were some question marks about her really and her position in the side she can be a bit frustrating in terms of her tackling, I think she can be a bit rash, but I haven't seen any sign of that, albeit England haven't been particularly tested in that respect, haven't had to do that much defending. But she's been great. I mean, her movement, the timing of her runs, I think she understands the system really well. Yeah, she's been one of England's best players. And um, yeah, someone asked me the other day, you know, with a few players, you know, dropping out because of COVID for various different teams. Um, the question was, who, if you could protect one England, like who's the last player you'd want to lose? And I think it's probably between Walsh and Stanway, to be honest, in the midfield zone. They're just the ones who are, I think, least replaceable. So, yeah, hopefully they're both available throughout the tournament. Is that also the area of the pitch where England have the least depth? We've spoken about how strong some of the players who who haven't barely even seen the pitch are uh, in the midfield area. It, it seems like that's less of the case. I mean, the, the only other discussion about a starter in centre midfielder has been the, the centre-back Williamson, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's been some other star performers, but I mean, even if you lose one of the wingers who've both been great, you've got Chloe Kelly to bring in. So yeah, you're right. Midfield is is the weakness. So hopefully England won't lose anyone there. Team selection chat once again. Serena Wiegmann, who missed this game with COVID, but going unchanged for the third straight group game, Mark. Uh, a deep squad and plenty being used off the bench, but going for consistency of the starting lineup is that something that that surprised you did you did you feel like she might be resting players for this one yes because england had already progressed through uh, at that point but looking at serena Wiegmann's sort of philosophy and, and ethos as an international manager it, it's not all that surprising and kiva o'neill did a really good piece about this um very recently and i got a really good quote from serena Wiegmann saying that she said i believe in rhythm when you have nine days in between the norwegian game um and the quarterfinals that's too long you need more rhythm and to keep the focus and keep playing. So it's very much something that she looks to do. Um, in 2017, she, when obviously the Netherlands won um, on home soil in, in the previous Euros, that um, she only used 13 players across the, the entirety of the tournament as well. So it shows that she's not looking to use a, a massive squad, even though that she has the, the tools to be able to. And I think that she made just three starting lineup changes across the whole tournament as well. So mm. if we were to look back across the way that she, she likes to handle her tournaments, then um, not too surprising, but maybe a little bit surprising given that England already progressed um, going into that third game. It's not like many of her starters have given her pause for thought or reason to drop them at this point, albeit some of the substitutes uh, maybe have, have given her some food for thought. I mean, Michael, I know we've spoken about this quite a lot when it comes to Gareth Southgate in England in previous major tournaments in the men's game. Um, this discussion about rotation, about the players who aren't playing and who might uh, play better, it sometimes feels like it's a conversation for conversation's sake because you need something to talk about and when things are going well, uh, particularly. Do you think the discussion of rotation in major tournaments is is somewhat sort of overrated? Maybe. I mean, I think there's a big difference between men's uh, football and women's football here. The difference, in my opinion, is that the players aren't massively overloaded and in the red zone because women's players play 30, 
35 games a year compared to men's players who are paying 50 or 60. And I think even more importantly, there was about a six-week break between the end of the WSL season and the start of this tournament. So the players have come into it really fresh. I mean, ideal physical preparation, really. Um, and therefore, I just think it's it's less of a risk to play them. I know there have been a couple of uh, bad injuries in this tournament to key players, which is always going to be a worry. But I think there's probably more room for just going for that familiarity. And another key factor I think I haven't seen anyone mention, but I think is quite important is if England were to get to the final, um, they'd have one extra day of rest compared to their opponents going to the court final, two days extra rest going to the semi-final, and one day extra rest going to the final. So that mm. probably has influenced things as well. So yeah, I was surprised it was an unchanged team, but I think there probably is more scope for it in this competition. I love that quote from Wiegmann. I believe in rhythm, which could be a, a statement <laughs> on squad rotation philosophy or a line from a 70s disco track um, <laughs> in terms of, of those knocking on the door, so to speak. In terms of the Northern Ireland game, the name on everyone's lips as being deserving perhaps of more minutes is Alessia Russo, who's been brought on, Michael, pretty early, in fairness, for Ellen White each time. And again, catching the eye with her performance. Yeah, I thought she'd start the first game. And then when White didn't score, I thought she'd start the second game. And then when we're through, I thought she'd start the third game. Mm-hmm. And now we're playing against Spain and you might want someone who's better at link play. I think she might start the fourth game. <laughs> and sooner or later, by the time we get to the final, I'll just accept uh, that it will be an unchanged side. And I do really like Ellen White. Although I think part of the value of her is she's a kind of ready-made plan B if you do need an extra kind of aerial threat. But no, Russo has been great. I mean, she's one of those players who... Um, not that she hasn't played well in the WSL, but she hasn't needed any adjustment time when it, when it's come to England. She's just immediately played really well. And I think she's a great all-round player. I think she's, um, yeah, probably unfortunate not to be starting. But like you say, as a substitute, has done really well. And the goal she scored with the, the turn and finish, I think, was, was absolutely fantastic. All on the turn here. And Russo's in for a fourth. What a turn. What a finish. This is a sensational goal. Yeah, I mean, she certainly fulfilled her remit as a as a substitute. She's got three goals in just 104 minutes played across those substitute appearances. And and Michael mentioned, you know, the WSL. I looked into her numbers from from the last campaign for Manchester United. She scored nine goals in the WSL, and that rate per 90 minutes was was 0.5 per 90 minutes, so one in two essentially. And only Lauren Hemp, Beth Mead, Viv Miedema, and Sam Kerr had a better goal scoring rate um, in the WSL last season. So. You know, it shows that she's she's ready to score. She's familiar with with scoring, and again, off the back of a, a decent campaign with Manchester United, she's yeah fulfilling her remit perfectly. I guess I guess the big the big question here, Michael, is to what extent do you feel the need to change it when thus far everything's gone pretty well with White starting games, tiring out the defenders with her savvy and her clever movement, and then Russo coming on when the defenders are flagging a little bit. It's It seems no reason necessarily to to sort of change things for the sake of it when you, you don't know for sure how that will look. No, that is true. But uh, I do think Spain will be a very different tactical challenge to what England have faced so far. I mean, the first game where they're not going to, I would expect they're not going to dominate possession. And I think the one thing that Russo brings ahead of White is her link players better. And I think mm. if England wants someone to drop deep a little bit and get involved, maybe that could be a good option. But yeah, it, it probably will be White from the start. It just, you know, it will be a different challenge for her. I think it, I think she'll probably spend, you know, a lot of the game close to the, the halfway line rather than on the edge of the penalty box. Mm. And that is a different challenge for her and, and maybe not her speciality. 
Okay, we'll get on to the England-Spain game in just a minute. Let's tie off Group A because uh, we had a really interesting finish to this group in the other fixture. Austria won Norway nil. It wasn't quite the archetypal sort of knockout-style third group game because Austria had such an advantage in terms of goal difference. Either way, goal difference was irrelevant. Austria got it done winning this match and becoming... To my eyes anyway, my understanding of the phrase dark horse, the tournament's official dark horse. Because pre-tournament, it was expected that Norway would progress. Instead, it's the Austrians, the surprise team of the tournament so far, Michael, and, and looking pretty well drilled. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about you declaring a dark horse midway through the tournament. I think that's questionable, but I, I, I do understand what you mean. I think it's partly because we discussed on the preview show that none of the eight teams expected to progress really fit the criteria so there's really no other option here (laughs) and uh, to be fair you also said you didn't think every tournament has to have a group of death so maybe you're happy not to have a dark horse but you know I'm always looking for headlines I'm I'm happy with surprise package I think that is (laughs) that is good Um, so then winning the quarterfinal that would that would elevate them into dark horse status from surprise package I just think dark horse has to be at the start of the tournament in a in a in a world cup or euros I don't know if oh, what? So Dark Horse can only be... I think you have to predict pre- it. Yeah, I think it has to be predictive. So you can never become a Dark Horse? I'm not sure you can. <laughs> There's a whole episode on this, isn't there? Yeah, I don't well, know. Well, it makes me, makes me wonder why we even bother. I'm going to retire that phrase. But I, I can't argue with surprise package. And they, <laughs> okay. they have been good. I mean, they were good against England in the first, you know, by far the toughest game England have had so far. And against Norway, they were just the better side. I must admit, I was flicking between the two games between England, uh, Northern Ireland and Austria against Norway. And yeah, I mean, I was really impressed how high Austria pressed, even at uh, 1-0 up. You know, I think it can be easy for uh, underdogs or dark horses, some would say, to, to go into their mm-hmm. shell and sit deep. But they didn't. They were pressing and they were forcing Norway mistakes high up the pitch and forcing Norway to just hoof the ball, hopefully, towards uh, towards the, the forwards. Um, and they were the better side. Um, so yeah, well done to them. They're, they're a better side than I expected coming into the tournament and absolutely deserve to progress ahead of Norway. Uh, in every major tournament, one of the stronger teams has to have a shocker. That's just the, the law of it. Uh, it's Norway, unfortunately, this time round. Uh, Michael, what's what's happened to Norway in this tournament and what's the fallout been? Um, it seems to me like there's almost two completely different issues. One is a tactical issue in the sense they don't have they don't have good defenders. They just don't. They're overloaded on great forwards and good midfielders. But their options at centre-back in particular are massively lacking. Um, and I think that was exacerbated by the fact that, particularly against England, they just didn't play as a unit. I mean, they were being dragged all over the place. And the other issue is just, you just look at the players, you look at their body language, and it just seems like there's kind of some level of unhappiness in the camp. I don't know precisely what. I know the manager's got a lot of criticism um, for some of his his selections. But even at full time of, of the Austria game, there was just something strange about the way they reacted. They seemed almost uh, completely shell-shocked by it, which seems odd considering it was, you know, it was always on the cards really. And it was on the cards for a long time. It, it wasn't like they conceded two last-minute goals. They just seemed devastated by the... The whole thing. So it's been a shame. I mean, um, obviously with Hegerberg back, I think a lot of people were, were quite excited about Norway. I saw um, there was an interview with the um, Switzerland manager on our site just before the tournament. Um, and he predicted Norway to win the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, they've fallen massively short of expectations 
I was going to say, so, <laughs> falling short of expectations so far, but they won't be able to make up for it. I know in, in international tournaments, you've got such few games to to really build much momentum. I just wonder how much, and this is more of a general point about international tournaments, how much the fixture order may have maybe influenced the outcome. So if that Austria game would have been maybe the second game going into that England game, you know, maybe Norway would have either got a draw or maybe got two wins there and it would have maybe got them that momentum into, into that final game where the England-Norway um, game would have just been for whoever would top the group. But their confidence was just obviously shot to bits after that England game. So not too much time to pick themselves up after that. I, I don't know how much that had a had an impact over things. And I think Michael made a good point about the whole defensive unit being you know, not, not very strong at all. And I don't want to pick out any individual too much, but I kind of will anyway. I thought that Julie Blackstead did... Just a lot of the the goals that that um, Norway conceded, she was kind of culpable for. I thought even even down to the Austria goal where Biller, who scored, sort of drifted over from that right hand side and kind of went across Blackstad, and she maybe could have or should have tracked her as well because it was sort of on the blind side of the, the covering defender. So yeah, an unconventional, not very cohesive defensive unit, and yeah, with the attack that they've got with Hagerberg and, and Graham Hansen, you'd have expected more goals, but they failed to score in in two of their three games and clearly that's that's obviously not good enough. Well, Norway head home, Austria and England head through. They're taking on the winners and runners-up of Group B. Now the big game to decide that was in match day two and it was Germany against Spain. Germany won 2-0. Michael, you were there and in the preview we said it was set up beautifully from a tactical perspective. The the footballing uh, game of cat and mouse and, and that's really how it Played out. Spain had the ball, but Germany did the damage. One unforced error from the Spain goalkeeper seized upon uh, and one set-piece goal as well, which is becoming something of a trademark for this German side. Very impressive in this group and winners of it. Yeah, they've been very good. They've been very cohesive. I don't think they've been really dependent on an individual. I think lots of players have played well. And yeah, that early mistake just completely shaped the game. I think Spain were more likely to dominate possession anyway. Germany a bit more reactive, but of course, as soon as it's 1-0 after two minutes, the, the pattern of play is very clear. Um, I thought Spain actually played some good football. They created a couple of decent chances. Um, but yeah, second half, Germany are relatively comfortable. And they have been impressive. I mean, they they played much better than I expected, to be honest, throughout this tournament, Germany. I think they've been really good. The, the Denmark performance on the opening day was, was excellent as well. So... Yeah, they head into the uh, quarterfinals having scored nine goals, conceded none, um, and in a pretty tough group as well. I know England haven't conceded any, but I think to do it in the group Germany have come from is is probably a better achievement. You mentioned set pieces as well. So Germany have scored four goals from set pieces now, which is the joint highest um, at the time of recording with uh, with the Netherlands, and five goals from, from their head in general, which is the most in the tournament. So a real aerial threat from Germany as well. So obviously thinking about how Austria can can maybe prevent them from from scoring again, they've got to be, you know, make sure that they're they're on hand to to stop any aerial threat from Germany as well. This is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. We're having a water break now. When we return, all eyes on the knockout stages. England versus Spain, uh, Austria versus Germany and more up next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we've discussed the group progression of England, Austria, Germany and Spain. Let's touch on England against Spain. This is the first quarterfinal and it's on Wednesday night. And I I believe these two were the pre-tournament favourites to win it. One of them will head home uh, after the quarterfinals. England now favourites for the tournament, I should say, with Germany the second favourite with the bookmakers. Uh, Michael, you've seen a lot of Spain in the flesh. You've seen a lot of England overall. Uh, Preview this game for me. What can we expect tactically before we look at the two teams individually? Well, I think Spain will probably have a little bit more possession. I don't think it will be as exaggerated as you might have expected one or two years ago because I think England are playing a much more positive brand of football these days. Um, But yeah, I think Spain are just insistent on having the ball. And I think England will be relatively comfortable with that. There will be a big midfield battle, which I I don't think England have really faced so far. They'll have to compete in that zone. But I think the speed of their forwards is really what England will be relying on here. Um, But yeah, it should be a good game. I think it'll be an open game between two sides who, uh, broadly speaking, want to play on the front foot. Does England's more uniform style of play lend itself better, do you think, to to tournament football? It feels like with the Spanish team, it's very clear how they like to play, how they look to play, what their strengths are. But it also feels like their strength ties quite sort of cosily into their weaknesses. Whereas this England team, so far anyway, uh, and admitting that the group stage was a little more straightforward, it feels like England have fewer obvious weaknesses and and maybe that's more important than strengths at this stage. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, Yeah, we need to see England tested defensively. I think between the lines might be a slight issue. And I think sometimes when, when Leah Williamson, as good as she is in possession, when she's up against a really physical centre forward... I think that can be a question mark. But Spain don't really have that. Um, and although they do have players who can operate between the lines, obviously they don't have Puteas, who is their, their best player. Mm. Jenny Hermoso is out as well. And, I mean, they've tried three different players in in Puteas' kind of 
left-sided number eight role. None of them have really impressed. And it's probably more Bonmati who's been forced to adjust her game and play a little bit higher up the pitch to compensate. So I've been a little bit underwhelmed by Spain. I don't think they've got much cohesion in attacking positions. I think they've chopped and changed too much really with their lineups. Um, and I must say, I think England are strong favourites, which I, I wouldn't have said before the tournament. I was going to say about about Spain that it might be an oversimplification, but I sort of had similar notes to say that if you take Pateas and Hermoso out of the team, then they are likely to be a little bit more blunt in attack. It's just it just makes sense because they are such world class players. And I looked at some of the attacking metrics for Spain, um, and already giving the small sample alert here because we are only hmm. three games in, but it's still interesting to compare against the rest of the, the sides in the tournament. And they've had 61 shots so far, which is the, the third highest behind Germany and England. So a, a decent number. Um, and this is before France's final game here as well. But still, they're, they're, they're not short of getting shots away on goal. But as we've spoken about a lot in terms of the quality of shots, the, the XG per shot, so the average quality of a shot that they take is the 10th highest of the 16 teams. So 0.11. So 11% chance of scoring with the average shot that they take. So it seems like they, they maybe need to carve out higher quality chances. They're, they're not really lacking in the quantity, um, not really lacking in terms of dominating the ball, but just in terms of the quality of those chances. And at the other end as well, in terms of conceding shots, the, the quality of shots that they're conceding are the fourth highest. So from their perspective, the, the fourth worst on average, 0.14 XG per shot. And they've obviously conceded three goals uh, already. So compare that with England and Germany who haven't conceded yet at all. Um, then you think that you can get at Spain. So they need to sort of balance out that, um, you know, the key parts at either end of the, the pitch just to make sure that they've they've got that right alchemy. I wonder if it's way too much of a leap, too much of a simplification to suggest that the lower XG per shot number might be fairly common for a team with such a patient build-up style, much much more common for a team whose opposition really can focus pre-match on their defensive structure and, and low block defending because they know that is going to be how the game plays out. Whereas with, for example, England in this tournament, we've spoken a lot, Michael Mark, about how quickly they do get the ball forward at the right times. You know, happy to build possession, sure, but uh, also very happy to hit some diagonals and try and get the ball into the wingers much earlier where defences are less set, where there are less bodies behind the ball. A again, small sample, and I'm probably oversimplifying this, but do you think there's some merit in, in that school of thought? I, I certainly think so, yeah. I think it's a good point. I think that's the challenge of of club sides as well who dominate the ball. You think of Manchester City men's team as well. They've, they always have that that issue of trying to carve out those chances because they know that the opposition is going to sit deep as well. And I think the thing with England it, so far, and it's obviously going to be skewed by that 8-0 as well, but they have created a high volume of chances. But the good thing about them at the moment is they've also created really high quality chances as well. So as I say, skewed by the, the three games, but England's threat um, in attack of just opening up uh, the game and getting into essentially shots in and around the six yard area has been fantastic as well. So, you know, if England can do that even a couple of times against Spain, then, you know, with clinical strikers like Ellen White, maybe Russo, whoever starts, um, hopefully will profit from that. I think it's in this sort of discussion is where 1v1 dribbling can be so important as well, just in unlocking these sorts of defences in trying to achieve these sorts of, of chances. And uh, I mean, I am feeling a little biased towards England here and so impressed by their performances in the group stage and really enjoyed reading a piece on the Athletic site from Gemma Davison uh, about 
the England wingers, specifically Hemp and Mead uh, and their dribbling ability. And, and just looking at the nuances of of the best ball carriers in the women's game, the differences between them, but also the similarities, what allows them to, to play at the very top of the game. Um, I must admit, it was it was... It was a really fun article to read as well, not just informative, but I kind of felt inspired by the end of it. It made me want to grab a ball and head out into the park and, and practice some of these dribbling techniques um, and, and something to watch because it's been huge for, for England in these three games. Check it out on site, by the way. Hemp and Kelly are a new breed who have grown up with elite coaching. Uh, I should mention Chloe Kelly very much profiled in, in that piece as well from Gemma on the Athletic site. Um, Michael, as for England faced with this Spain team and, and all the aspects of their play that are, are both positive but sometimes hurt them as well. Um, should should Wiegmann be making any changes, uh, not to the starting eleven? we don't expect that, but to the tactical approach? Uh, any necessary adjustments need to be made here? No, I don't think so. I think they'll play similar, maybe a little bit more structured without the ball. I think they'll have to play more of a double pivot probably with, with Stanway deep alongside Walsh because of the way that Spain play. But no, I think it'll be roughly the same. I think they, I'd like them to get the ball to, to Lauren Hemp a lot. Um, you look at her three games against Onabatya in Manchester derbies this season and, and Hemp has just really caused her so many problems. Um, so I think that is is probably the a potential way to go. I mean, I know Mead's been probably England's standout player so far in terms of her goals and assists, but I think this could be a game for Lauren Hemp on the opposite side. The two sides played each other in the Arnold Clark Cup back in February. It was a nil-nil draw. And I'm wondering, what about that game can we take into this, if anything? Any, any relevant information we need to know? Uh, I'll be honest, I was going to watch that yesterday. And then I went back and I saw probably only five players apiece are going to be starting. So I, I didn't watch it, although I was. it was suggested to me that Jill Scott played an interesting role in that game. Obviously, she won't be involved here. But maybe that'll be my assignment for this afternoon, finding out what Jill Scott's role was. Because you can't, you can't be <laughs> asked that question and just leave it at that. You have to, <laughs> have to investigate precisely what the Jill Scott role was. Well, good to be staying locked to the athletic site for everything that Michael's writing uh, about the Women's European Championships and so much other coverage as well, like that Gemma Davison piece that I mentioned. Uh, the other quarterfinal, the second quarterfinal, I should say, is, is Germany against Austria at 8pm on Thursday. Um, Michael, we've been very impressed with Germany. Um, we, we kind of preempted their blueprint against Spain. They played it spectacularly well. Is there any argument that stylistically being the heavy favourite in the quarterfinal against Austria might suit them less uh, in, in terms of, of their strategy and, and their strengths. You know, the onus will be on them to dominate the ball rather than play the sort of soak up and spring tactic that they, they went with against Spain. Or, or does that characterisation do them a bit of a disservice? Yeah, probably. I, I, think they're a good, I think they're a really good team, actually. I mean, they played well against Denmark, who probably are roughly on the same level as Austria, I would say. Certainly would have been rated... Vaguely similarly coming into the tournament. Well, Denmark would have been rated higher than Austria coming into the tournament, actually. So, no, I think Germany will be fine in this respect. I mean, probably a similar style of football the two sides play. Um, I just think Germany will be too strong. And like I say, they, they haven't relied on an individual. They've, there's been so many players that have been good at various points. Um, so, yeah, I'd be fairly confident of Germany going through here. 
I think we should still expect Germany to to press high out of possession as well. I know it was a bit of a, a gift from <laughs> the Spain game where they it was essentially given to them, but they they have been looking to to win the ball back high, you know, in the attacking third. And I, I looked into the numbers on it, and it was thirty six occasions so far in this tournament. Only Sweden have had a higher volume, uh, thirty eight. So it shows how much they like to to win the ball back high up and. In terms of Austria looking to to build the ball out from the back, I thought that England had some joy in you know pressing them high and regaining the ball fairly high up. So Germany will probably be be looking at those pressing triggers and looking to see if they can profit from those high turnovers as well. And I'm delighted to say that I will be at the game. I've managed to get nice. a ticket for Thursday as well, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. Excellent. Well, we look forward to your recap on the next pod. In Group C, Sweden and the Netherlands were the two big names and the two teams that went through. Sweden uh, going through over Netherlands on goal difference. Of course, these two sides playing each other on match day one. They drew that game. They both won by a single goal in match day two, which set it up quite nicely. Michael, it was really a, a kind of a battle of the goal difference and, and won by Sweden in the end. Big winners on match day three. Um, I must admit, after what you had said in the preview about this Sweden side, I was pretty keen to pick them as my tournament winners. I, I thought, in in my opinion, what you need for tournament football, you pretty much touched on it all in, in their preview. So them having gone through as league leaders, I'm getting quite excited. And I wonder uh, what you've made of their group stage. Yeah, it's funny. They've... They haven't quite clicked. I mean, obviously they scored a lot of goals yesterday, but until that point, maybe weren't really as fluid as we expected. Um, I don't think they quite found the best system. Uh, they started with three at the back. Midway through the first game, they changed to four at the back and they've played that since. They've had a couple of injury uh, problems to to key players as well. Black Stinius couldn't start the first game. Jonna Anderson at left back couldn't start the second game. Caroline Sager couldn't start the third game. So they just haven't quite found the right balance. Um, I think first two games, Friedelina Rolfer was kind of the one player who was head and shoulders above everyone and getting them through. But then in third game, she was quite quiet, I thought, against Portugal, albeit they won 5-0, so it didn't make a, a big difference. Um, yeah, I'm maybe slightly colder on them than I was coming into the tournament to be honest um, because yeah they just don't quite seem to have clicked um, but defensively they seem okay bit concerned about Magda Eriksson doesn't seem that mobile or assured in possession which is unusual for her and I think she probably needs to play centre back rather than left back because she switched in between the two um, but yeah they're, they're a good side and it was big to win that group because I think you've got to avoid France um, whoever we're recording before that group has been decided um, but it's clear that there's a big gap between France and, and whoever comes second in Group D Well France impressively know that they will top the group whatever happens tonight in, in Group D's final fixtures uh, they will play against the Netherlands uh, Michael I remember speaking after the, the Netherlands-Sweden game and Netherlands had looked quite impressive in times uh, and a bit less impressive at other times. How did they finish off in Group C and uh, how do they look up against this French team that we know to have a very, very high ceiling on their, on their day? Yeah, I mean, they've been without Viv Miedema for the last two matches, so it's been uh, it's difficult to judge really how good they'll be in the quarterfinal, assuming that she's back. Mm. I quite like Mark Parsons, but I'm not sure he's quite found the right approach or the right combination in the final third. There's been some question marks about the roles of... Uh, Daniela van der Donk and Giroud have almost switched between the right and the centre respectively. I don't think he's quite worked that all out. Although I must say, I think he's been really good with his use of subs. Um, Seems to just get a big boost of energy, whether it's been Berenstein or Pevlova on the right flank came on and scored yesterday. Um, so they do seem to be able to change the game from the bench. 
I just think France have been so good and I'm not sure the the Dutch fullbacks will cope particularly well with the French wingers who have been sensational so far. But that said, France do have an unfortunate habit of looking very good until the quarterfinals and then going out at that stage. So who knows? I mean, on the, the note of the, the French wingers as well, I looked into the, the numbers on this from, from France and granted they still have that final game to play. But I looked at each country's touches in the respective thirds of the attacking half. So looking at those those channels going across the pitch and although they have one more game to play, France had the second lowest proportion of touches in the central third. So they have 22 mm-hmm. of their attacking touches in the central third. Only Sweden have lower, 19%. Uh, interestingly, France on 22%. So it just shows essentially, put simply, it shows how much they're looking to attack down each wing. And with, with Diani and, and Cascarino in particular, they are just such a threat. So it shows in terms of the process, maybe what France are looking to do is to kind of miss out the the middle uh, you know attacking channel and just get it to to the wings as quickly as possible because they know how strong their their wingers are and michael is is attacking with extreme width and looking to get the ball into wide forwards as quickly as possible is that one of the more sort of foolproof tactical plans like it's it's very difficult to defend against extreme width, isn't it? Like there's just a, a lot of space on the pitch and that, that feels to me like a pretty repeatable game plan. Yeah, and um, I think you're right. And I think there's probably... Is there an argument to be made that because, you know, in the women's game, the defend, the, so the players are slightly less quick, they're probably less good at covering space laterally. You can probably create gaps more between them. I, I don't know. There's been a lot of goals in this tournament uh, scored by headers, actually. A lot from mm-hmm. crosses, a few from set pieces. And I think I said this the last time we recorded this podcast, but there's been so many goals been scored by the wide forward at the far post coming in to convert. It's just amazing how often it's happened. And I'm always looking for entertainment as a neutral from the way you guys have described the strengths and weaknesses maybe of this Dutch side in particular and their matchup against France. It it makes me think that the only approach for the Netherlands will be to kind of match fire with fire and try and hurt France as much as possible, given, Michael, you've mentioned a vulnerability of sorts at the back. I think they need to, I mean, assuming Miedemar's back, they need to get runners in behind her. I think that is key. She's regarded as number nine, but Arsenal's been accustomed now to playing as number 10 for half a season. And I think she just wants support. She wants players going off her. Um, and I haven't been, I mean, they haven't conceded many goals, but I've been that impressed by France defensively. I do think there's a weakness there. Mm-hmm. Wendy Renard, obviously excellent in the air, very good diagonal passes, but the way she lost her player for the goal that Italy scored against them, I thought was slightly odd. And there's just been a few incidents where I'm not completely sure about the centre-back pairing. Um, and if there's any striker in the tournament who can, yeah, maybe get the better of them, you'd probably say it was Miedemar. Absolutely. Well, the last quarterfinal will be played between Sweden and one of Italy and Belgium. This is uh, an exciting shootout that takes place tonight, uh, 8pm. Michael, on paper, it looks like Belgium fared much better against France than than Italy did. They certainly kept the score down. Um, Looking deeper at, at the stats in that game, it feels like really maybe the main difference was the quality of French finishing across the two games. Do, do you have any strong stances on on Italy and Belgium? Are you willing to put your neck on the line despite the fact that it might age terribly in just a few hours? I really don't know about this one. I think both sides have probably looked most impressive in the second half of their games against France. I don't know whether Italy 
look better than they are because France had switched off being 5-0 up. But I thought Isi actually played quite well in the second half. Um, played very bravely and did well to get that goal back. And I thought Belgium competed reasonably well in their second half as well. Um, so I don't know. I've been a bit. I've been a bit disappointed with Italy. I must say. I think to only draw with Iceland was a, a big blow. I think they should have been in control of this situation. Um, but yeah, it sets us up quite nicely for um, for a good game tonight. Assuming that Iceland aren't gonna uh, get a win off France, I'd be very surprised that about that. It should basically be winner takes all, which could be very fun. Although mm. there is also the possibility we could end on a very rare group where the winner gets nine points and everyone else gets two points, <laughs> which is obviously the lowest number of points you can qualify with. I don't know if I've seen it before. Let's let's dig into the archives then. That's your activity this afternoon. Have we ever had a nine two 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 group? in a major tournament that is someone's task it it won't be mine um <laughs> okay well let's finish off by just i want to know who the stars of the quarterfinals might be and in order to, to dig that out of you uh, michael i asked for a short list of five or six players that you think would be in the running were the tournament to stop now for best player in the tournament so far who are the individuals catching the eye well like i said i think it's been a good tournament for wingers i'd certainly have a couple of Right wingers in my uh, in my five. Uh, one would be Beth Mead, I think, just because of her goals return, you, you can't ignore her. And also Diani for France has been sensational. Just left backs can't play against her really. Um, I'd have a ton of Bonmati in there. I know Spain have maybe not been as good as we hoped, but she's just brilliant at conducting the game, ability to play balls through the lines. And Fridolina Rolfo has really got uh, Sweden through the. Uh, the first couple of games um, feels like there should be a German player in there I can't really decide <laughs> because like I said I don't think they've been reliant on one individual but I'd go for Alex Pop just because she scored in all three group games um, but yeah it could be one of about five players for Germany I, yeah I wrote down Alexandra Pop as well just because I wanted to say that she's popped up with some, some great goals but she has scored Lovely. in each of the, the three games so she's so, showing consistency already and uh, Delphine Cascarino I'd, I'd probably include for, for shouting in terms of the France um, wide players as well and totally agree with Beth Mead of course and it's not quite the conventional best player but I think we mentioned it in the last episode as well that Daphne van Domselaar um, coming in to, to the Netherlands uh, between the sticks and you know in goal has, has done amazing I think that she had a really crucial save um, you know a couple of days ago as well and only her second ever international appearance when she came on against Sweden and come on and actually been really really composed for the Netherlands and she's going to have to carry on that way if they're going <laughs> to progress through to the last stages. It's been a brilliant group stage so far. The knockouts are upon us and I've no doubt that in the next pod when we look back at the quarterfinals, uh, some of the names mentioned will be discussed as having been match winners uh, on the biggest stage. The Women's Euros quarterfinals up next. We'll be back uh, just at the end of the weekend to break them all down for you to preview the semi-finals. Please subscribe to this podcast feed so that you don't miss any future episodes. Do subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast as well, your daily dose for the knockout stages. Uh, and make sure that you are an Athletic subscriber as well. Head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics, sign up, read, enjoy. Uh, we'll be back in a few days. Make sure you join us then. Go well. The Athletic.